Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of God. We're concluding a series today uh, in the life of Joseph. And in so doing, we're concluding the entire book of Genesis. It's been a journey. We've gone through a lot as a church in this journey from the beginning of uh, Genesis uh, and uh, in January. And now here we are in May. And uh, one of the things that you learn through this is that contrary to what you think about the Old Testament narratives, the Bible is not about heroes. The Bible is not about role models. Over and over, you'll see that even the most notable characters in the Bible have deep-rooted, deep-rooted sin, deep-rooted flaws. But oftentimes, when things are the most wrong, when things are the darkest, God is most working for our good. That's what we learn here in this segment of the life of Joseph. In verses 12 through 17, Jacob, who is Joseph's father, he just died. And the brothers are now wondering, his brothers who had sold him off into slavery, who had betrayed him. Now that the father is gone, what's going to become of us? Because they betrayed Joseph. They caused a lifetime of brokenness and hardship for Joseph. And so they sent a message to Joseph most likely, or at least uh, it very well could have been a lie. But the message goes like this. Dad said, you got to be nice to us. Now, after being sold <coughs> into slavery, after being in prison, could have been up to 13 years, 22 years being separated from his family, what does Joseph do? He forgives. How does he forgive? How do you forgive people? It's one of the hardest things for us to do in relationships. And so we're going to go into four uh, very quick lessons today. We're going to talk about pain, judgment, wisdom, and forgiveness or love. Pain, judgment, wisdom, forgiveness. First, we're going to look at pain, our pain, the pain of God. Why did Joseph weep? The brothers came to him. They sent this message. Joseph weeps. And it's because Joseph is looking at his brothers and realizes his own brothers fear him. They don't trust him. Too much time has passed. And that teaches us that you can't just reweave trust once it's been broken, once it's been torn apart. You can't just expect to rebuild a relationship if it's seriously been broken. It takes time to rebuild trust. And you need to reconcile. Joseph weeps because he's moved. Now, if you're not moved by losses, if you're not moved by brokenness, if you're not moved by the years that have gone by, if you're not moved by the cost that it's taken on you, then you become hardened and you'll never weep. 
If after years and years, you still want to get back at that person, you still want to hurt that person, you're not going to weep. But Joseph weeps. He does weep. He's moved by the loss. He's moved by the brokenness. He's moved by the cost in the years. And by saving his family, in order to save them, he would have to take on and absorb a lot of emotional and psychological damage and punishment that his brothers deserve that they will never be able to pay for. And when you do that, you know, if anyone's been through anything like this, any type of betrayal, any type of hurt, even if it's incremental, the pain is great. What's the lesson here? The lesson is that sin takes a toll on your relationships. It, it just breaks relationships. And the damage is all relational. And because of that, the cost is emotional, and the cost is psychological, and the cost is spiritual. That's why he weeps, because of the cost. It hurts. Because to forgive somebody, whether they are sorry or not sorry, whether they are apologetic or not, whether they come before you and confess and repent, or whether they don't, It's a choice that you have to make to absorb lots of pain. Pain that the other person deserved. Forgiveness is painful. The problem of sin is big. And it's usually commensurate with the the amount of pain that somebody endures. So when you ask, well, why can't God just let it go? Why can't, I get that we've sinned. Why can't God just, if he really loves people, why can't he just let it go? And if you think about it, if God is truly a God of love, he won't let it go. Because to let anything go is to say that sin has won. To let any, even the smallest incremental sin go is to say that evil has won. And a loving God would never do that. Now look, if you've truly experienced any type of emotional damage incurred by somebody, if you've truly experienced any type of psychological or just hurt damage that's been done by somebody, you know in your own heart you can't just let it go. It's like that person owes a debt to you and you want their blood. And if that's the case with finite people, finite human beings, how much more for an infinite God who has been hurt at an infinite cost? We owe an infinite debt. How do you forgive? How do you truly reconcile? Well, what does Joseph say? There are three things that he says here, and they make up the rest of the points. We're going to start with the first one, verse 19. He says, am I in the place of God? Now remember, Joseph is like the prime minister of Egypt. And he got there. He arrived there. He didn't just ascend some sort of corporate ladder. He got there through suffering. He was abandoned by his brothers, betrayed, left for dead by his brothers. He was imprisoned unjustly, left for dead in prison. And he then he came out of prison and bore the weight of a country that is virtually left for dead. He absorbed an enormous amount of betrayal and pain and pressure. His brothers deserve to pay for that. His brothers deserve punishment for that. They deserve to die. And Joseph had the power to destroy them. Joseph had the authority to condemn them. But now he says, am I in the place of God? In other words, am I the judge? In other words, learning that Joseph learned, essentially, that putting yourself in the place of God is really the source of every pathology that we have in life. In Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden, paradise. God says, you can eat from any tree. You can eat the fruit of any tree except that one tree. Except that tree. But when the serpent came 
The serpent and his lies and his deceptions. He says what? Well, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God. You can take his place. You can be the rightful owner of your thoughts and your decisions, what you decide to do, what you decide to to put into your body. Only you can decide what is right and wrong for yourself. Now, John Stott, he's a famous theologian. He once said that sin is substituting yourself in the place of God. That's why we love, that's why we just absolutely love putting ourselves in high places. That's why we love putting ourselves in places of power. It's why we love positions of influence. It's why we love having great educational status and social status because to be an expert or something or to be known or cherished or loved by somebody or something, that's to have authority. And it's not all selfish. I mean, some of us love to to do good things. We love to be doctors and firefighters and counselors and ministers and teachers and parents. Why? It's because having these roles, it gives us influence. It gives us power. And that gives us or can give us a sense of worth. What Adam and Eve were tempted by, what they wanted in the Garden of Eden. I mean, paradise was not enough. They wanted control, control over their lives. They wanted a feeling of power and authority over life. But there's no replacement for God. And even if there was, we'd be the worst substitutes, which is why when we have power, when we have authority, we are ruled by anxiety and pressure. And and we're constantly then looking to all the wrong things to relieve us. And we're looking to all the wrong things as other substitutes for God. Surrendering to the authority and the will of God, even when it hurts, is the only cure for our anxieties and our pressures and our depression and craving for power and authority. Now, in fact, that's why it's so difficult to forgive. When someone owes you a debt, you feel a sense of power over them. Every time you see them on the street, every time they enter into your house, there's a sense of power that you feel, a sense of control when someone owes you something. And, and there are times when you feel like they have not paid you back adequately. It could be a physical debt, but we're talking about emotional debts here. When they have not paid you back adequately, you want them to feel lower. You want to exact on them a, that debt. You want to collect. And you love, even if it's for a moment, that feeling of superiority over that person. What are you doing? You're placing yourself in the position of God. That's what it means to be a judge. Here, Joseph says, am I a judge? Am I God? When God says in the Bible, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, what is he saying? I'm on the throne. I am the king and I am the judge. Only I truly have all the knowledge and the wisdom and to know what each person really and truly deserves. Your knowledge of the situation, your story is only part of the story. Only God has the right and the ability and the visibility as judge without Being consumed by bias, being consumed or deceived by evil. But when you're consumed by your own knowledge and your own story, and it's powerful, and you start to render judgment, you're risking that evil, that evil that could have deceived you, that evil that you're buying into to stay with you, and then you start to become evil. If you ever read Nathaniel Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter, you have Chillingworth who was betrayed by his wife, betrayed by a minister. 
and he commits, a, uh, you know, his wife commits adultery. And, and what does Chillingworth do? Everything that he does in that story going forward is some sort of scheme to torment his wife or to torment Dimsdale. And you slowly start to see him mutating into evil because the fastest way to become like the devil is, try, is to try to be like God. And the fastest way to become a godly person is to give up trying to be God to give up trying to be the judge and the authority. And that means you got to be forgiving and charitable and generous. Then you become loving and joyful and peaceful, which incidentally is the fruit of the Spirit. Joseph says, am I God? Am I the judge? The second thing he says is in verse 20, Joseph speaks to wisdom, the wisdom of God. Because When you're hurt and when you're in darkness and when you feel lost, when you've been betrayed, it's like you're in a valley and it's dark and it's cold and you're alone. And, and, uh, and when you're deep in that valley and you're lost, staying in the valley will not help. We talked about needing to go up on a mountaintop and getting perspective and direction. Joseph's brothers, they had committed tremendous treachery. They have betrayed their brother and left him for dead, and they're guilty. And they're fearful because these past sins have not let go. They, they've been haunted by the sin. And so they're in the valley, and they're dark, and they're exposed. And now that Joseph is in this high place, they are vulnerable. But Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's amazing. Joseph is thinking back and reflecting on his suffering. He's now at a high place, and he's got power. And he's reflecting on his suffering, but he's reflecting from the mountaintop. His brothers are in the valley. They're processing their sin and their guilt and their shame in the valley. Joseph is processing the shame and the betrayal and the guilt and the pain. He's processing it from a place on the mountaintop. That's how he processes his suffering. How do you process your suffering? How do you process your trouble? Because from the valley, you can't reconcile. Anybody who can't reconcile is because in some way, shape, or form, maybe it's in that moment, maybe it's too short, and you definitely need time. It's commensurate with the betrayal. It's commensurate with the pain. Sometimes you need the time to heal, and you need the time to process. But from the valley, you can't reconcile. You can't reconcile the pain that you're experiencing and the goodness of God here. But Joseph says two things. One, you meant it for evil. And two, God meant it for good. One, you meant it for evil, but two, God meant it for good. From the valley, you only see darkness. You only see sin. You only see evil. You dwell on your pain, and God seems absolutely silent. He seems absent. You meant it for evil, Joseph says. But then he says, God meant it for good. Now notice, he doesn't say, it's all good. He's acknowledging that there's pain. He doesn't deny evil. He says, you meant it for evil. He doesn't deny suffering. He says, you meant it for me to suffer. But then he says, but God on the mountaintop, Joseph sees that God meant it for good. On one hand, he says, yes, it's evil, but it's for good. That's the view from the mountain. How would that shape your view of suffering, especially in the midst of wrongs that have been done to you? I mean, you have Jacob, Joseph's father, who just recently passed. He lied to Isaac. He lied to his brother. He poisoned his own family, poisoned his life. Lots of brokenness and pain and suffering. But because of this, because of this, he had children. And because he had children, one of them led to Jesus. You know what that means? This is the end of regret. 
This is the end of self-pity. Self-pity because you've lost opportunities. Self-pity because you've made horrible decisions that have derailed your life, that led to serious damage to other people, maybe even to yourself. This is the end of regret and self-pity because you can't truly ruin your life. In fact, God intends them. God has allowed them to save you. That means even you can't mess up your life. And even if you're not on the mountaintop, you have to assume that there is a mountaintop. Because if you're in a valley, where is the darkness coming from? There is a sh- if you're in a valley, there is a mountain. If there is a mountain, there is a mountaintop. You have to assume that there is a mountaintop. If, you can't say, well, I can't think of any good reason for my suffering, so there must not be a good reason for my suffering. Is that good logic? I mean, is that, is that logical? That's not even intelligent, let alone wise. On one hand, God is in control. So you don't have to fight you don't have to resist him. On the other hand, God is in control, which means he's present. And he has called you. He has placed you there. You have to be responsible there. You can't let go of responsibility when you suffer and hold on to power and authority when you're doing well. You need to live in line with God's presence in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering. No matter what you've been through, is God absent? The entire narrative of Joseph shows us that God is present even in the midst of silence, even if he seems absent. Joseph says, you meant it for evil. It didn't sink me. It didn't ruin me. In fact, it saved me. I was a proud, arrogant fool. It saved me. And it saved other people through this. God is faithful. God is good. Now remember, 22 years have passed. It's a lot of time to heal, to reflect, to process. So you need that time. But that time alone is not enough. You need to trust in the promises of God. You need to trust his word. What a great resource that we have every day, every moment to trust. That means you can go to him. You can pray. You can seek him in counsel in the word. You can seek others in counsel who are in the word who are praying for you. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The last thing that Joseph says is in verse 21. He says, don't be afraid. Which is funny because the brothers had every reason to be afraid. Joseph is the prime minister. In fact, the dream, that arrogant dream that he had way when he was a a young, prideful child, where he was filled with pride, that dream actually came true here. But Joseph forgives because he says, am I God? He's been humbled. He's been shaped. His life has been transformed through this. He forgives because he says, I'm not the judge. The power to rule right? The power to rule has not gone into him in a way where the evil has taken over his life. And that power itself has not ruled him because a greater power has captivated him, humbled him, shaped him, and provided for him through and through. He saw that. And he's reflecting on this. And as he's reflecting on this, it brought Joseph to tears. He weeps. Joseph is reflecting on the love of God, even though he himself did not deserve God's goodness, because of his pride, because of his arrogance, it humbled him, and it gave him wisdom, and it gave him grace. 
the grace to assure his brothers, people who were one time his enemies who wanted him dead. Now, a lot of us are like, well, I can't do what Joseph did. It's because you're still in the valley. You need to take that time. You need to heal. But part of that healing can't be apart from processing. It can't be apart from processing God's word and his promises and his counsel. And more than that, you have to see what God did to enable and empower you to heal. Joseph, you see, had just a mere glimpse of God's grace. And it shaped the way he treated other people. But we, we have a full understanding. It's not just a fuller understanding. We have a full understanding. Because Jesus Christ, he didn't put himself in the place of God. He is God. And yet, Jesus was betrayed by his brothers, by his friends. Jesus Christ suffered. And Jesus Christ died. And yet, Jesus Christ says, basically... I mean, you look at passages like John chapter 21 when he's talking to Peter and he's forgiving Peter for his betrayal. Basically what Jesus is saying is you can't mess up your life because even through sin, my power is at work in you and it's at work through you. I am in the place of God. I am the judge, but I came down. The high king has come down. I've suffered. I died for you. And so you have in John chapter 18 to 19, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate is a ruler. Pilate is a judge. And Jesus is condemned. He's judged. And he dies the death that we deserve. And so on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I've lost the presence of God. God is completely absent from me. God isn't just silent. He is absent. He has departed from me. And so I am absorbing all the pain In order for you to be forgiven, I have to absorb all the pain of your sin. I have to absorb all the wrath of God, all the pain, so that you would be forgiven. This is why even your worst sins have no power anymore to take you away from me. Your worst sins cannot mess up your life. Because God will bring good through the evil in your life. Things that have happened to you because he brought good, the ultimate good, out of the ultimate evil in Jesus' life. The cross is the ultimate resource for transformation and change and forgiveness in your life. Because on the cross, Jesus says, it's done. That debt that we owe, he says, the work has been done. The debt has been paid. The work for reconciliation is complete. You can't do anything to complete it. You don't add to it. You don't contribute to it. You've done nothing. Jesus Christ has done it all, and he has paid it all. And if you believe that, there's the power to forgive. You see, vengeance only leads to greater violence. You ever watch the movie Green Book? In Green Book, you have Mahershala Ali's character. He says, you never win with violence. You only win when you maintain your dignity. If you look for vengeance and you lose composure because that person owes me and it just... That's the evil passing into your life. You want blood. That's evil passing into your life. You're acting as the judge. And that corrosion will destroy you the way uh, it left Adam and Eve lost in the garden because they thought they were in the place of God. But if you look to Jesus Christ, if you look to him, who he is, what he's paid for you, you will hear your deepest cry, your deepest need for mercy and for forgiveness and help. God can be vengeful. Because we owe a debt, 
And yet he is merciful. He is merciful even in his justice because that justice has been poured out on Christ. He could easily say, I want blood. You owe me. And yet he spilled that blood, his own blood for you, for your sake. To know that you are forgiven will give you the power to forgive others. To know that you have been ultimately forgiven, you will have the power to forgive others. That's what it means to stand on the mountaintop. You got to stand on the hill of Calvary. That's the mountain. You got to look and behold the beauty of Jesus and yet his blood spilled out for our sins. And to the degree that you see that, to the degree that you trust that, you will have the power to forgive because he has forgiven you. To the degree that you see that Jesus Christ has absorbed your evil, you will be able to absorb the betrayals of others, the slander of others, the evil of other people. You see, when you are filled with anger, when you are filled with hate, and it continues to grow and you let it grow, you plant seeds to let it just augment in your life, it will consume you. That evil will pass into you. you will, it will destroy you. But if you plunge your pain in the wounds of Jesus, knowing that he is the judge, he will repay. And he has forgiven you. Your debt has been paid. You will know your brokenness. You will conceive and be able to conceive other people's brokenness. You will have compassion. It will grow your compassion through your suffering. You will find ultimate healing for your soul and the supernatural power to forgive. It's an amazing thing to be able to forgive. If you're able to forgive, I mean, that is one of the remarkable distinguishing characteristics of the church, to see persecution and pain and suffering executed on one another even sometimes, and yet God's forgiveness taking hold, leading us to repentance and faith and the forgiveness of others. Will you practice that in your own life? Reconcile yourself to the Lord. Reconcile what's inside that internal struggle and be reconciled to one another. Let's pray.